Well, hello and welcome this morning to Trinity Church Mount Barker as we complete our series, Grace Fully Celebrating, from Luke chapters 14 to 16. If you're visiting with us, it's great to have you along as we think more deeply about God's grace for our lives. Have you ever had a tip-off about the future? The year was 1929 and one of New York's most prominent investors, Bernard Brook, he was on his way to work. And as he often did, he would stop and he would have his shoes shined. Uh, And the boy who was shining his shoes this morning, he said, Mr. Brook, I've got a stock market tip for you. You'll make a million dollars if you buy these shares. Well, as Bernard walked to work, he thought about the boy's advice about what he'd said. And he thought to himself, when the shoeshine boy, when he starts giving stock market advice about how to get rich, that has to be a sign. A sign. Well, upon arriving at work, Bernard Brook, he did the most astounding thing his investment staff had ever seen. Because what he did was he immediately liquidated all of his assets. He sold all of his shares. But when the market crashed a few weeks later, not only did Bernard Brook not lose any money, but he actually made money out of it. Why? Because Bernard Brook, he heard in the words of that boy something about the future. He heard in the words of that boy something important about the future. Now I think Jesus would have praised Bernard Brook, uh, not because he avoided financial catastrophe. Uh, Jesus didn't die to help us prosper materially. No, Jesus died on his cross that we might prosper in eternity. I think Jesus would have praised Bernard Baruch because, well, he listened well. And not only did he listen well, but he responded wisely in light of the future that he heard was coming. As we come to this part of Luke's Gospel, we know that Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. Uh, He's going to his death. He's teaching his disciples and those within earshot about the importance of being good listeners, listening well to what he's saying about the future. There's all sorts of people there within earshot of Jesus. They're reacting to Jesus and his words in all sorts of ways. Jesus' first story in Luke 16. Last week we learned it's about a good listener. Uh, The point of the shrewd manager, Jesus sums up there in sentence 9, where he said, I tell you, again speaking to his followers, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Good listeners responding to God's um, grace in Jesus. They're going to wisely be living for the future that matters when their money and material possessions will be of no use. Well, Jesus is desperate that those uh, who are there, who are against him, they're lovers of money, uh, more than lovers of God, but Jesus really still wants them to be saved, to repent. And so he tells a story about a bad listener. And of course, love will say what love needs to say when you know that disaster is coming. Let me read to us from uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Uh, If you've got a Bible, join with me. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, and he was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. 
And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, and nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Well, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I've got five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. They will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Well, what did you hear? You see, we could be forgiven for hearing Jesus say, look, I know life is tough and it's unfair for some people, but God will even it up in the end. People who suffer on earth here will enjoy good times in heaven, and people who enjoy good times on earth, they are going to suffer in hell. Well, not only is this not what the rest of the Bible teaches, but it's not actually what Jesus is teaching here in this parable. And so our first point is, we see there in verse 19, a rich man dressed in purple. He's dressed in purple cloth. Uh, That was the most expensive of the day. You've got fine linen, the word used here is actually for like underwear, made with the finest Egyptian cotton. Uh, This guy lived in luxury every day. He feasted sumptuously. He was eating extravagantly every day. Now, one of the original Greek words here that Jesus uses to describe the rich man's banqueting, it's actually the same word used in Luke 15 for joy and rejoicing and celebrating, to describe the shepherd and the woman and the father, uh, back there in Luke chapter 15. Now, remember the source of their joy is finding what was lost to them. And then they went on to use their material wealth to throw a party for others to come and celebrate with them because of their joy in finding what was lost to them. The rich man here, he's also inviting people every day to come and banquet and celebrate with him. But it's to ostentatiously to show off his wealth. It's to to brag. It's, It's the picture of an indulgent religious person whose love for wealth and the material is his greatest joy. And then, of course, we meet Lazarus, don't we? Lazarus in life has, well, he's bottomed out there. Verses 20 and 21 that um, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. He was covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. We're not told how Lazarus ended up in this place of despair uh, with no means to help himself. I mean, that's not the point here. What we note, though, is that this longing or desire that Lazarus has for the food off of the rich man's table, it's actually the same word for longing used to describe the younger son's longing for the pods being fed to the pigs back in Luke 15. What we've got here is a picture of inhumane brokenness and helplessness, isn't it? You see, for Lazarus, his only hope for the future in this world is it's the mercy and generosity of people like this rich man walking past him every day. Do you know Lazarus? It's the only 
character uh, named in any of Jesus' parables. And so, so why do we know Lazarus's name? In Hebrew, uh, the name means the one whom God helps, the one whom God helps. The chief way that God helps the Lazarus of this world uh, it's spelt out there in the Bible in the Old Testament. God's given clear instruction in the law and the prophets about his people are to be like God in their mercy and their generosity and to use their material wealth to help the widow and the orphan and the alien and the stranger. And so, for example, in the book of Ruth, there's the example of Boaz, Boaz in his generosity to the widow Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi. Lazarus appears to be the person God did not help in life. Um, but God, there is some help there. You've got the friends that are carrying him every day, laying him at the gate. You've got the dogs coming and licking his wounds. And then the angels who, in the end, carry him to Abraham's side in heaven. Now these details, I think, they just shine the spotlight more brightly on just how uh, the rich man has been like a, a Christian, uh, I should say a Christmas Grinch, a Christmas Grinch, just so... Uh, selfish and tight-fisted with his money. Well, of course, Jesus' parable, it, it moves from life to death, doesn't it? You see, despite being at the polar ends of, uh, of life, both the rich and the poor, they actually end up at the same gate, together there in death. Again, the rich man's money and possessions have no use to him. And so it is, as the rich man enters uh, the next life, the afterlife, he makes a horrible discovery that he's failed to live for the future that matters. He's failed to live for the future that matters. And that brings us to the second point. And Jesus' pastoral purpose here in this parable, verses 24 to 31. See, are you hearing me? We begin with the reality of hell and heaven. Now, heaven is the place of comfort and uh, rich relationships that's described here in verse 22. We read that the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Again, in sentence 25, we're told that Lazarus is comforted here. Heaven is a place of comfort. Jesus paints here um, a picture of uh, not a palace, but people consciously enjoying the intimate relationship with God forever. People carried by God himself to be in his presence in eternity. It's a reminder that it's by God's grace alone in Jesus that we are saved and brought home to God by God. But heaven, well, it's not really Jesus' focus here, is it? There's a fair bit of focus on hell. And hell is awful, says Jesus. Uh, the rich man, he also died and he was buried in hell. Gehenna, the, the place of the dead. Um, and we're told it's a place of torment. Not once, but twice. We're told not once, but twice that, that this rich man, he's in agony continually. How do you feel about Jesus describing hell like this? That this reality is a possibility in the afterlife? And let's be honest, I mean, I don't like it, and I'm sure you don't either. But, you know, it's interesting talking to a mate of mine uh, just last week, um, married with kids, busy at work, he's realised that he'd oh, let his condition slip, uh, maybe his wife made a comment, who knows. But anyway, he decided for the first time in his life to join a gym. And it was really uncomfortable being the geek there, not knowing anything, and, and just a shock getting out of bed in the morning. But he said, oh, it's the shock he needed. 
He's a few weeks in and he can, he's experiencing the benefits. And it's a little bit why we need to be hearing what Jesus is saying in parables like this when it comes to our spiritual health. As shocking and unpalatable as it is, we cannot avoid the fact that Jesus himself talks about hell as a reality. Friends, Jesus is crystal clear about hell being a very real possibility for where people can end up when they die. And he's speaking here not to scare us, but, but to teach us, to teach us. This fear of hell, it shouldn't paralyze us, but knowing God's love for ourselves, so love for our neighbor, it should motivate and, and, and mobilize us to be doing and saying whatever we can to save them from this reality. See, why does a rich man end up in hell though? Well, let's come back. Let's come back to the parable. You see, the rich man, he, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away, we read, and, and he sees Lazarus by his side. The rich man recognises Lazarus and he knows his name. He knew who he was at his gate as he walked past him every day. Rather than apologise to Lazarus here, you've got um, an asking for God's forgiveness. What does he say there in verse 24? He calls out, Father Abraham, have pity, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and call my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. He's in agony in hell and still there's no contrition, there's no repentance. There's no forgive me father for what I've done, for how I've sinned. How many times did he hear Lazarus cry out to him, have mercy on me, have mercy. And now here is the rich man crying, the beggar's cry for mercy from Abraham and he, he wants Abraham to send Lazarus like a slave into hell to serve him and alleviate his suffering. Can you see what's going on here? Even now, it's still all about him. This rich man is longing um, for God to do something about his suffering. Uh, this rich man, all he can do is think of himself. I mean, he thought of himself as a good Israelite, that he'd go to heaven, but by his love of money over mercy in life, by his lack of repentance in life, it's in death that God reveals his true status, that he's not a true child of God, despite his appearances. The rich man recognises Father Abraham, but Father Abraham does not recognise him as one of his children. As Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7, he says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I think it's Abraham's reply to the rich man uh, request in the story that Jesus teaches us how to think not only about God but how to think about our relationship with money and all of our wealth. You see there in verse 25 we see that Abraham replies, my son remember that in your lifetime you received good things. My son, it's the same term of, of affection that the father uses pleading with his older son to come inside and enter into his joy at his younger son coming home there in Luke 15. Remember, it's the word, the cry of the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures to a wayward Israel who have fallen into sin and lost their way. Remember, repent, come back. What does this rich religious man need to remember? <laughs> well, <laughs> remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Jesus reminding um, his listeners that um, who are materially well off then and now, 
that like this rich man, that all the material good things in our life, they're all gift from a good God. As we read in Psalm 24 verse 1, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the car on the driveway, the bike in your shed, the, the house we live in, we call home, the clothes on our back, I mean the, the watch, um, the, the phone in our pockets, I mean we sort of think of them as mine, 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 but it's all God's, God's, God's. Uh, everything we have and accumulate um, in, in our lifetime, it, it can draw us away from God, can't it? But here is Jesus reminding listeners then and now that it's all God's, it's all gift to sustain life and to be generously stewarded to sustain the life of others to the glory of God. Jesus has already warned his listeners earlier that no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. But we sure enjoy trying doing it, don't we? <laughs> trying to serve both. I mean, we convince ourselves that, hey, maybe, maybe I could be the exception to what Jesus is saying there. But Jesus says, no, it's impossible. You can't do it. Now, Jesus goes on because he's got more to say about the afterlife, hasn't he? Our choices here become permanently fixed in the future. Verse 26 that there's a great chasm fixed so that no one who wants to go from here to you or to come from you to me, it's impossible. You can't cross over. And Jesus says that in the afterlife, there is a no return policy. What is reversible now in life is irreversible in the afterlife. So we can understand why someone would want to cross over from hell to heaven, but who in their right mind would want to cross over from heaven to hell? Anyway, the parable of Jesus in, in, the, in the Bible here, it's, it's not for the dead, it's for the living. And so what as the living do we need to hear? Well, Jesus gives us a voice from hell for the living to hear. Verses 27-28, the rich man pleads with Abraham a second time, doesn't he? He says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I've got five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Heaven's reply, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. See, the scriptures teach us how God's people are to think about God and, and generously steward and share their wealth with compassion. Jesus' point uh, to a listening Israel, it's plain, isn't it? That their delight is in knowing about the Bible rather than obeying and doing God's word. And so... Uh, the rich man's uh, plea, it, it's de declined, but he tries again, doesn't he? Which brings us to a voice risen from the dead, given for the living. Verse 30, No, Father Ab Abraham, says the rich man. Uh, no, the Bible's not enough. But if someone from the dead, if they go to my brothers, they'll repent, they'll listen. That is, they will listen and change their future that they're currently living for. All they need is a sign, a miracle, anything, please, please. Abraham's response? Well, no, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. Verse 31, he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. See, people are saved um, not by uh, signs, but through the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is Holy Scripture. Heaven proved the truth of this. I mean, after three days uh, of preaching, 
his victory after his death on the cross in the place of the dead, Jesus did rise bodily from the dead, didn't he? And Jesus has been proclaiming his victory over sin and Satan and death to the living ever since. That whoever will repent and receive Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, so they too will be taken up to heaven just like Lazarus when they die. Uh, Jeremy, not his real name, uh, he immigrated from South Africa some years ago now with his wife and, and, and some small children. Uh, he came over to study medicine at Flinders Uni. His wife was a Christian. Uh, Jer Jeremy was not. He was a lovely man, but he was an atheist. Uh, he was happy to come to church with his kids and his wife. He thought it would be good for them. Now, some months into us, we used to meet together um, up at Flinders Medical Centre and uh, we're sitting outside after our Bible study in the hospital quadrangle and, and he looked at me and said, Look, John, if I could just see this bush over here become a tree just like that, if I could just see a miracle, I'd believe. Well, I shared with him this passage and said, Well, actually, I think Jesus disagrees, Jeremy. <laughs> now, friends... Here we have the voice of the one who has risen from the dead telling this parable. Are we hearing what Jesus says when it comes to the future? Well, it brings us to our, our last point, gracefully celebrating. You see, these last five weeks we've uh, looked at six parables that Jesus has told in Luke chapters 14 to 16. And, and we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be responding to God's extravagant grace? To be profoundly shaped by its grace? To be to be celebrating our relationship with God. I mean, we're celebrating relationships all the time, aren't we? But what does it mean for us to celebrate our relationship with God, to, to enter into His joy and to join Jesus in the joy of His mission, seeking and saving lost people and bringing them home to God? Now, of course, we can, we can always give more money to church, or we can, uh, we can always uh, give more money to support missionaries in Australia or overseas. But this parable here, I think it reminds us that the mission that matters most for each of us is the mission outside of our door each day. I met Tom, again, not his real name. Um, three years ago, he, he was an older Christian man, and I asked him, hey, Tom, I mean, how did you become a Christian? He said, well, I grew up in England, I was a boy, didn't have much, I used to have to ride a long way to school and often would not get to have breakfast. One of his best mates, a Christian, he invited him over to his house to have breakfast with him and his family every morning on school days. They became like a second family to him. And they would talk and, and John st Tom started going to church and you know, with, with church and Sunday school, the conversations around the table, Tom became a Christian. He joined the church. He grew up, became a lawyer, but later in life he left that to join the ministry. And all this be began because of the, the mercy and the practical kindness showing hospitality to him. Now that's, that's living for a future that Jesus died on his cross for. That's grace fully celebrating. That's why stewardship. Last Friday night, Gita and I had dinner with some friends of ours, David and Jackie. And uh, Jackie, she was sharing a story of how uh, a Christian couple who, who lived in Hay, um, in New South Wales, they used to drive 50 kilometres every Sunday morning to pick up uh, a friend's girl or child, drive them back the 50 kilometres uh, to Sunday school and church, drive them, her back home again and then drive back. Now that's 200 kilometres every Sunday. What merciful and wise stewardship. See, that's living for a future that Jesus died on his cross to win for people. That's grace fully celebrating. 
and of course closer to home. Uh, the last uh, five months at, at, at Mount Barker has just been a joy. The, the privilege of just seeing the big hearted service, uh, people giving all their time to make disciples of the children, the youth, the young adults. Uh, and then th there's the, 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 the careful teaching, the, the care going on for one another in our small groups. Now that's living for the future that matters, says Jesus. That's grace, fully celebrating. Well, as we again remember Jesus who came into the world at Christmas time, we remember that he is also coming again to judge the living and the dead. See, who are the people among us maybe this Christmas? The neighbours outside our door, the neighbours near to us, to whom we might be able to show some practical kindness and hospitality that might impact where they spend eternity. In John, his first letter, Jesus says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but also with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at peace in God's presence. Please, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this day. And we give thanks for this word. This word that is given out of love uh, to not just save us but to instruct us in how to live how to be a people of grace a people of mercy who are faithfully and wisely stewarding all that we have for the future that matters who are entering into your joy Heavenly Father as we joyfully join Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost to bring people home to you as they hear, believe and understand the gospel. Father, thank you for these last five weeks as we've thought more deeply about your grace. With Christmas on the way, we, we can hear um, people uh, getting back into it, um, coming out of lockdown, getting back to work, living life. Please will you help us to see with compassion the mission that is outside of each of our front door, Help us to have fun, to be wise, to help each other, to be a people of mercy, to show big-hearted hospitality and love and grace as we seek to not only show out the extravagant love of God this Christmas, but to share it and to speak it into people's lives, knowing what's at stake. We pray this for their salvation. We pray this for our good, for our joy, and for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.